So as we come into uh, 2020, um, and we talked about this as a staff, uh, 2020 is that time where anytime you think about 2020, what's the first thing you think of? Think about what? What is it? Barbara Walters. Barbara, <laughs> Barbara Walters, that's true. Sometimes it's vision. Sometimes it's do we have perfect things. But Barbara Walters, that does come in. You're all right about that. You know, it's, that's a blast from the past right there. So think about this as we were talking about. We were talking about vision and what it means to be able to see things clearly. I want you to know that we ended up with a puppy uh, a few months back. And I want you to know that there's something that is joyous and frustrating about a dog. <laughs> because dogs have this ability, like any pet, they have this ability to bring comfort and to bring great joy. And they have moments to make you want to figure out how to not kill them. You know? Because they have these different, different moments where you're like, going, oh, you're so sweet. Why did you do that all at the same time? Well... Experience this moment as we have our dog, Nico. And so here we have Nico, and Nico is this wonderful, uh, fine puppy and uh, has brought much joy at times to our lives. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if you know this, but puppies love to chew things. And they love to chew that You would think we can get him as many toys as possible and give him the toys and he doesn't, he, for five seconds, and then he finds something, oh, I don't know, like your shoe, or he finds something like your billfold, or he decides of all the things to chew, your glasses. <laughs> and so the dog gets a hold of my glasses, which of all the things you're going to chew, why the glasses? They don't... And so he chews them. When they say that these are not scratch resistant, they lie. <laughs> maybe it's not a scratch, maybe it's a chew. I don't know what it is, but in this moment, I found the dog, and, he's in, and it's on the ground, and of course, he looks at me like he's in trouble, but he knows he's not. And so I get these glasses, and I put them on, and as soon as I put them on, right there, right there. And so I'm like going, it'll be okay, and so the entire time that I'm trying to look over there, my eyesight is drawn this way. You know it? And so you're trying to, you're like going, okay, I'm going to read through this and I'm going to read through it. And so, oh, and it's just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I dealt with this for a couple months because I was like, I just bought these glasses and I'm not going to shell out money again. And I'm just going to live with it. I ended up going to the place one day, to my eye care place, and I just happened to walk in. I was like going, let's just see what the damage is. I walked in, and I was like, my dog, <laughs> it sounds like homework, my dog got a hold of my glasses and scratched them. Maybe it's just this one lens. Maybe I can just, is it possible just to replace the one lens? What can we do with all this and everything? And I said, well, what's your name and everything? I looked it up, and so I was like, oh, this is going to be, you know, it's, Oh, those are under warranty. It's perfectly fine. We'll replace the whole thing and it'll be back to exactly perfect. You won't have to worry about it. See these glasses? They've been replaced. 
totally back. I'm not looking off to the left, not paranoid that everybody's looking at me like going, can he not keep glasses? What's wrong with him? You know, it's people wanting to lick your glasses and clean it for you or something, you know, all those things. Now, why do I do that? Why am I telling you that story? Because every so often as we go through life and as we go through this walk with Christ, we begin to go and look through a lens that begins to be scratched up. It begins to be uh, through life that we've gone through some things. And all of a sudden, instead of keeping focused on Christ, we are noticed on this and our attention gets drawn further and further away from Christ and more on the imperfections, the scratches, the difficulties, the dents, the things that have happened in our life to where we find ourselves that we are no longer focused on Christ. We're focused on things other than Christ. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How do we go back to be reminded in this moment that the things that we go through and the struggles that we go through, not only within our lives, but with other people, people that are Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, and those that are heretics, how do we deal with all the noise that's in our world and to all of a sudden get back as we ask Christ, it's not about all these things. It's about you. It's about you. If you have your Bible, I would like for you to go with me this morning to Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24. <clears throat> and let's start there as we read. I love listening to Bible's turn. It's one of my favorite things. I'm just going to say that. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now as we start this out, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Colossae. And as he is writing to this church, he is dealing with a lot of different things. He is dealing throughout his ministry, what Paul has dealt with, is he has dealt with false apostles that are taking the message of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ and adding extra to it. Like the cross and resurrection is not enough. We have to add extra things to it. You better be a good person. You better hold to the law. You better do these things. He is fighting against that heresy. But then Paul is also fighting against within the church of believers. Some of those that have been people preaching the gospel and they are either jealous of Paul and so they make life difficult. Relationships that he's had with Mark and a problem there. All these things that are happening within the church. But he says something interesting. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings. How do you rejoice in sufferings? How is that even possible? The first point we want to look at is this. To be prepared 
for suffering. The church, I have realized this, we probably, and I don't mean just Valley Creek, I mean just as a whole, we probably don't have a good theology of suffering. In fact, to be honest with you, um, there are ways that even, it seems to be that we try to go ahead and say that suffering, Christ took all the suffering, and so we don't have to deal with it. But if we go by that and think about that, that's not what the apostles dealt with. What was the apostles' ministry? Anybody know how they all ended up? All but one. He was exiled. The rest were all killed for the faith. Not only that, but we go back and we look through the church and the history of the early church, and it even goes on, is the constant moments of suffering for the sake of the gospel. Suffering for the sake of the gospel. Suffering again from heretics without and turmoil from within. Now, the reason why we need to look at this is because Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. See, Paul was suffering in a way because he knew the purpose of it. It wasn't wasted. It was for Jesus Christ and the gospel. The things that we do in this moment are called to help grow faith, not just for me, but within other people. The things that we do are not pointless. I'll give you two examples. I realized this when we were having Caleb was being born and Shiloh was being born. I just want you to know my wife was excited and dreading it all at the same time. You know why? Because it was going to be painful. And I was an expert in this. I had no clue. I was an expert in that. I don't know what she's going through. I don't even know what. To, but I remember in that moment, as she was going through the midst of much pain, and I was being as supportive about as supportive as I could be in that moment. It was painful, extremely. But in the midst of all that, after I remember Caleb being born. Remember Caleb being born. When Caleb was born, the doctor was like, you want to go ahead and he put the scissors on my hand? He goes, you want to go ahead and cut that? And I was like, nope, because I'll pass out. And I'd like for my child to have all their fingers, okay? So you go ahead and do that, doc. That's what we're paying you for, okay? So, but I remember that we took, we took Caleb and sat him right there on Dana. And I remember in that moment, I remember watching her and just the joy, just the moment of seeing this child born. There's no way for a child to be born without pain. None. It's not going to happen, and it cannot happen. There's no way for a child to be born without pain. I'll give you another example. I have realized that I've had to go back to my parents several times. I had parents that, that loved me. I had parents that cared. Not perfect, but I realized being a parent, and neither am I, right? 
But I have realized that being a parent is pretty much an ungrateful job for a while. You know it? If you're a parent, you, no matter what you're doing, or what, at some point in time, it's this. Why? I don't understand. I don't want to do this. I don't like this. Ah, why do I have to eat that? I don't eat that. I don't do that. Can I eat green things instead of that? How about I have the Skittles kale? Can I have that as my vegetable? It's like you're going through it, and it's just like going, it's a constant, constant, constant frustration. <laughs> but I go back, and I've gone back to my parents, and I've told them several times, Thank you. Thank you. I may not have agreed with a lot of things that you said. I may not have agreed with some things that you did. There's some choices that even you've admitted that were probably if you'd have gone back and redone it. But the very fact that they poured into me, the end product of that, I realized that I know it's of God only, and I know my parents. That, and I've gone back to thank them because it was a thankless job that they experienced from me for a long time. Anybody else been there that way? Right? Most good things that are going to happen in this world are going to be the fact that we must experience some of the suffering. And when we go through the suffering and we get shocked because oh, I can't believe this is happening, well then we've really messed up on what God's trying to remind us of. Listen to John 16, 32 and 33. As Jesus is telling the disciples, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and, I, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling the disciples that he tells them, you are going to scatter when they are coming for me. And on the cross, you're going to scatter. But I know that the Father is with me. The Father is with me. But then he says this, I have said these things to you that in me, in me, in me, you may have peace. If we're trying to find the getting away from suffering is the only way that we're going to experience this success, we've totally missed it because sometimes the suffering has to take place. It has to. If you've been in church long enough, you've gone through struggles and suffering of being part of a church. True? There's no way around it. Why is that? Why does that happen? You know why? Because it's human beings. Every single one of us at some point in time, do you know what we all start to do? We start out excited and focused on Christ and then something comes up and the scratch comes and then all of a sudden we start to focus on the scratch. We get frustrated about this. We get aggravated with this person. We go through these moments and because that scratch seems to be there, we get caught up. 
But here's what we forget. In the same way as when we deal with children, in the same way of a child being born, the suffering that is going through is not pointless, but has purpose in Christ. Now, it has no purpose just for the sake of going through suffering. But in Christ, God knows what's taking place. And thus, as we turn to God, as we begin to think, well, there's no way it can get figured out. And all of a sudden, we go to God, and all of a sudden, He's like going, oh, yeah, follow me. Follow me. If you're going through suffering in your life right now, I want to encourage you in 2020. And I've said this before, but I want to say it again. Don't ask God why, ask Him what. <coughs> Don't ask God, why me? Why this? Why that? Ask Him, what do you want to do with this moment and how can I be obedient and follow you? What, God, do you want to do with me in this moment? What do you want to do with that moment? It's interesting because I've watched some people in the midst of their suffering, they did not realize that the fact that as they were going through it, and they were wondering, what's the purpose of this? Not only was God faithful to bring them out on the other side over a matter of time, but even this crazy thing, to go back later to realize that their witness of how they handled and how they walked with God became a huge encouragement to many Christians around them. Many Christians around them. I know she's not expecting me to point this out, but I'm going to point out Linda Cecil. Linda Cecil, in the midst of it, when you lost Wilkie, and y'all had an awesome marriage. Amazing marriage. Godly marriage. And I watched a sister in Christ that I have known since I was born. I watched her go through the midst of that suffering, grieving, hurting. And yet I watched her stand and say that Jesus is the one that's keeping me through this. He's the one that's keeping me through this. Still with tears and still with hurt. But Jesus is the one keeping me through this. You probably never knew this, Linda. I cannot tell you to see a marriage that loves Jesus and at the end of it, you're still a daughter of Christ saying, and God still holds my hand and gets me through every day. You know what kind of witness that is in the midst of suffering? To be able to recognize that the suffering that we go through, God's still using these things. Now, real quick, I know this has been a long point, but I want to make this too. 1 Peter 4.15 But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. I always find it interesting. A murderer, a thief, an evildoer, and a meddler was put in that too. Huh. We won't get into that. That's a whole other sermon. The point is this. Don't suffer for being disobedient to God and being a sinner. Suffer because you're chasing after Jesus. If you are suffering for your sins, God can still work through that, but you brought that on yourself and you didn't have to. Repent and turn back to God. But when you suffer, suffer as being faithful unto God. Suffer in the moment as saying this, I keep my eyes focused on you, Jesus. And not on the things around. Be prepared for suffering. You can pray and ask God to remove it. Just know this. It may not be His will. And His will is always good. 
Sometimes you need to say, not my will, but your will be done. And in the midst of the suffering, we watch God at work. Let's go on. Now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now this is such a strange thing to say, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Where is Christ lacking? It's such a strange statement that Paul seems to make here. Well, first of all, let's look at it, what we do know. Is Paul adding anything to the atonement or the, the, the death of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ paid it all. Which sins were not paid for by his blood? Zero. There's nothing Paul is adding to that in any shape or form that is helping our salvation. That's only by Jesus Christ, by his blood and his payment. Death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus paid it all. Sometimes people say this, well, Paul was taking the sufferings of the Colossi church so that they wouldn't have to go through so much. But that's not what Jesus did for the apostles. The apostles suffered, did they not? There was suffering. There was never a promise that there wouldn't be suffering. So that's not true. But listen to this. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. Two, point two, have the attitude of a servant. What Paul is filling up in this moment is this. The atonement is taken care of. Salvation is only in Jesus Christ. But here's where he's making up. Even though the Holy Spirit is with us, and we know that, there are moments where we're wondering, God, where are you? Anybody said that? I've had those honest conversations with God. Lord, where are you? Why is this taking place? I have prayed, I have prayed, I have prayed, and... Every prayer seems to be hitting a ceiling. But Paul in this moment is telling us that what he is is a physical representation of Christ. Not for atonement, but to be an example of this moment that he is doing exactly what Christ does in this moment. He is taking the hits, not for himself, but for the church. Have you thought about that some of the suffering that you're doing may actually be being a witness for how you handle it to other believers and be an encouragement? Have you thought about that? Sometimes we're so absorbed with, with the hurt that we're going through, the suffering, the anger, the frustration, that all we can think about is me, 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 me. I am an expert on that one. But Paul tells us that he was doing it for the church. He was doing it for other brothers and sisters in Christ. He was there taking the lickings and the beatings because it was going to bring about something beautiful within the church. He took false teachings and apostles that were coming in and he was having to fight against these outward influences. And here's the sad thing about it. The outward influences 
were very enticing was actually leading brothers and sisters seemingly away from the gospel. And so Paul is fighting that. And Paul is then fighting in the midst of all that people that are preaching the gospel correctly, but making Paul's life miserable by saying he's not a real apostle because he's suffering. He's in jail. How can you follow anybody who's in jail? Look at us. Look at how God's blessed us with wealth. Look at how God's blessed us with what we're doing. And Paul, all he is is beaten and jailed. What kind of apostle is that? You need to listen to the one that God's blessing. And then he is dealing with people that in his own entourage, if you would say, he has a problem with Mark. So much to the point that he felt like he had to split. He had a problem with some people that had followed him for a while and then they had seemingly left. He only had a few people around him. All this in the midst of everything. He's suffering. But he rejoices in the fact, not because of how it's feeling towards him, but he's got a... His perspective gets back to Christ. Jesus... Why is it taking place? And what do you want me to do with it? It was for the building up of other people in the church. He rejoices because this is what he's been called to. You and I, what do you think our calling is? Retirement? To get our education done? Is our calling to get to the next promotion? Is our calling to have better family? Is our calling to be... To finally get this project done? Is it church? To please the one who gave his life for us and who lives within us if we are in Jesus Christ. It's hard to think about that. Even the idea of suffering. I'm going to tell you right now, I'll be honest with you. I wrestled with this passage for the last... I have wrestled with this passage because the idea of suffering... I personally do not like it. And I want to explain it away. But in this fallen world, to suffer, not sadistically, or somehow if I suffer, it'll make me more holy. It's the fallen world that if Christ suffered, why do I think I'm any better than my master? And if he suffers, what was the purpose he suffered for? It was for the glory of the Father, and it was because he chose to love us. What would happen if you look at the suffering that you're going through right now, and you're asking God, how does it bring you glory, and how does it build up brothers and sisters in Christ? How would that change things? If it was no longer about you, and it became about him, what would change in that moment? What would be different? How would you end up loving God in a way instead of complaining to Him? How would you end up looking at loving other people instead of complaining about them? How would you look at the moment of saying this, God, nothing can take me out of your hand and this moment praise you because you're in control. You're in control. Having the attitude of a servant Doing it for others. This is where Paul began to look at this. And even this, we'll say this, even when we saw Paul and Mark split from one another, what do we see later on in his passages? He and Mark had a reconciliation. How is that possible? When Mark let him down, He whipped out. He wasn't as dedicated. 
You know how that happens? Because Paul was just a man with his own struggles, with his own biases, that the Holy Spirit did write through for the Scriptures. But I guarantee you, even though we see Peter written in the third person most of the time, and we can see his failures, and Paul gets to write in the first person because that's how the Holy Spirit allowed him. But I guarantee you, Paul ended up getting convicted later on because he had missed a part and ended up going, Mark's useful. I'm not going to hold him to his worth back then. He's useful. The attitude of a servant for others, not just for me, not just what I'm going through. Verse 25, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Point three, as Paul talks about this, emphasize the message of Christ in you. Do you know what I find amazing? Is that within Christianity... We have something that's unique that no other religion has. No other religion. When we went to Nepal and we listened to people there, it was interesting because some of the people there, you're born, most of it is Hindu. There's different things there, but most of it's Hindu, right, Eugene? And in the midst of, I'd say in the midst of, I've got to quit that. That's my word right now. My wife keeps telling me, you got catchphrases. Quit using that one. So, in the midst of, y'all can, Sean, quit using that one. Being in Nepal, some people within Hinduism are born into a station. And do you know how they get out of that station? They die. I hope to get reincarnated into something else. But when you're in that station, you're in that station, and you're in that station for your entire life. So if you're in a lower caste, you are scum, and you will always be scum. But you want to know the beautiful thing about the gospel? And the reason why it's so rampant at times of what it did? It's because it begins to remind people it's not about what you've done or what you were born into. It is about the God of the world who created you that finds great worth within you. Who you have sinned against him and for whatever crazy reason by his great love he has chosen to pay your sin debt. And to forgive you and make you clean and not only that but adopt you to make you become his. In a personal walk with God. The God of the universe that wants a relationship that says, Abba, Father, Daddy, oh help me. Do you love me? Do you care? Yes. What we preach and what we promote is not good morals in and of themselves. Christ in you. The fact that the God of the universe would dwell in someone like me, like 
you. Have you thought about that, that God lives within you if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Think about that for a moment. God lives inside of you. Amen and oh my goodness. I mean, I take God with me every, everywhere. God knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows my intentions. He knows what I think about all of you. And He knows what you think about me. <laughs> And yet, he still chooses to love, forgive, change, transform. And the mystery that we promote is not the happy-go-lucky Jesus. That was the 60s. And people were on stuff. The Jesus we promote is this. This world's messed up. I'm messed up. The people around me are messed up. But God's not done with me yet and is perfecting me, changing me, transforming me. And I am surrendering to God. And as I surrender to God and I say, Lord, do what you need to do in my life, he lives out within me that all of a sudden somebody asks, how could you even forgive that person? Because Jesus Christ forgave me and I didn't deserve it. But he loves me. That's why I choose to love difficult people. That's why I choose to give grace. That's why I choose to work in the midst of things. Why? Because Jesus did it for me. How can you do that? I can't do it. Except through Jesus Christ. Church. The message of Christ in you. The hope for the world is not that I'm going to become a better person. That's not it. The hope of it is, is that God chose to dwell within a sinner by me receiving Jesus Christ and He continues to change and transform me not by what I'm doing, but by what He's doing. That's the message that we're taking to the world. When you deal with a jerk boss who's a jerk and he's wrong, but you deal with it in a way that looks like Christ, regardless of what's going on, what does that say to the world? When you deal with a marriage, that the other side doesn't seem to be getting it, do you bash them and destroy them, or do all of a sudden do you stand in the moment and say, God, how would you have me to love my spouse the way that you love me? How would you have me do this? How would you, in a broken world... Christ within you. When we are focused on the fact of what He's done in our life, they've hurt me. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Life is hard. This circumstance has taken me down. Once we begin to wipe, allow God to wipe these things off and put it back... It's about staying focused on Christ. Because in the midst of that, we can't control our circumstances. We can choose to follow Him.
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. As Paul was talking about this, talking to the church at Colossae, and as he was going through, and this would be read to other churches, he was reminding them of this moment that the whole point of his ministry given to him by God was to glorify God with what he was doing. To give, God had given it to him and he wanted to give it back to God. This is what you were doing. It was an offering. Worship. That he was going to present every person mature in Christ. That changes things when we're just trying to not get past salvation, isn't it? We don't want people to just get saved. We want people to grow up. I need to grow up. To mature in Christ. And so Paul, as he had these moments, of so these moments of conflict was meant in a moment of how do I sharpen to help somebody mature? Why did he rebuke the Corinthians? Why did he go after them? Was he mad just ugly and going to, stupid Corinthians, what's wrong with you? He was doing it in a way that was rebuking for them to seek after God and mature, not to beat down because they were disobedient. Think about this. Any of you have a sibling? What was it like growing up, sitting in the back seat of a car with them on a long trip? What was it like? Quit touching me. Quit touching me. Just stop it. Mm, ah, Y'all stop it back there. My goal in the back seat was not to help my sister become more mature in how she dealt with me. It was to aggravate the snot out of her. That's what it was. To pick, to pick, to pick. Because I was bored. It's a four-hour trip. you got to have something to do. It was a me, me, me kind of thing. My parents, although quite frustrated with us, there are moments they would talk to us after the fact. You all need to love each other. Now, in the moment, it was like, if you don't quit, I'm coming back. You know, it was a scary moment. We all needed to repent afterwards. <laughs> Later, they would talk to me, and they would tell me, you need to appreciate your sister showing. That's not the way she plays. That's not the way she feels loved. You poking her in the side and holding her nose so she can't breathe and tickling her until she's going to pass out. Those are not... You need to think about what you're doing because you're only thinking about you. Church, how do we deal with each other to help each other mature and to grow up within the church? There are hard conversations that we have to have with each other at times. To correct, to teach, to rebuke. Sometimes it needs to happen from the pastors. And we got to hope that we are seeking after God and mature enough to be able to have it. Because sometimes, it's going to be a crazy thought, but we're wrong. Sometimes conversations need to come from the congregation. 
leadership based in love and not on personal preference. Sometimes conversations need to happen across. The reason I'm bringing it to you is not because I'm better than you, but because I'm concerned about you. Does this look like Christ and what happens in this moment? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's hard for anybody to receive correction, is it not? It is hard to receive correction. But there's two things I want to throw at you. One, when you go to somebody, are you doing it in order to build up or to be right? We need to have conversations within the church, within Christendom, to be able to sharpen each other, to mature in Christ. The other one is this. Are you mature enough to receive it, or are you always going to be defensive? I have realized this. I now know why God allowed me to take so many beatings early in my ministry. I now know why. Because I have watched many a congregation member take so many beatings in their own life. I get it. I understand the hardships of life, the things that people go through. God allowed me to go through many sufferings. So that now when I run across people, some people have told me some of the most horrible stories of their life. Things they've either experienced and they've gone through. Choices that they have made that have been self-inflicted by sin that they have done. Some of the most horrendous, embarrassing things. But somehow in the midst of all that, when they are able to share, don't look at them with shock or disgust or... I've been in situations and God's given such grace to me. You're able to give grace to people. Moments that I've been able to have hard conversations with people. Conversations I don't want to have. To be able to do it not in order because I'm superior. But to be able to say, is this leading us towards Christ? Church, 2020 is here. I can't believe it. Time's moving fast. Jesus is coming back sooner than we realize. We need to be busy doing His work. What's your vision like right now? Is there a scratch on your lens right now that's gotten you focused where Jesus is kind of there, but actually he's more in the peripheral now because you're focused on something else. Do you need to repent? Do you need to ask God, Lord, in what I'm going through, how does this moment bring you glory and not just a moment of complaining for me? Lord, how would you have me live and act and respond, not for me, 
but to be pleasing to you and to be an example to other believers right now. I'm going to share with you some of the things that you're dealing with. And this is where I'm wrapping up. There are some situations in your life right now that will not be resolved. You're not going to find a resolution to them. It's not going to happen. And you will either look at that as absolute defeat or you will say, Lord, it is not about the resolution with the situation. It is about the faithfulness and obedience to you. And as I am faithful and obedient to you, you will handle and bring the joy that I need to find in the midst of this situation. If you're waiting for the situation to be resolved, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to to be a miserable person because that situation may never, ever get fixed the way that you want. But you want to take great hope? Being obedient to God, chasing after Him, saying yes to Him, He brings about joy in the midst of our suffering. He brings about hope in the midst of what's going on. And He tells us, well done, my good and faithful servant. So that as I continue to walk in this, it's not about this moment. It's about walking with Him and who He is. Does that make sense? Where's your vision at today? Where do you need to go before God? And Maybe you need to ask Him, Lord, can you uh, clean my vision right now? Can you restore some things that I've lost focus on? Father, can you help me in a moment to give me joy because I've lost it? Lord, restore my joy not through situations, but through walking faithfully with you.